Happy Hanukkah and welcome Yuletide to episode 122 of the New Culture Podcast. I don't know what welcome Yuletide means, but it's what Potton made. My name is David Claus, and with me are the NCP crew, Richard. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Luke. I'm Razor Luke. If you're David Claus, that doesn't sound very Christmassy. That sounds more like, you know, uh, the villain in, the, in a low-budget... Terribly made 80 slasher flicks. So. Oh, no, I, I, I could be the new villain for Bond 24. <laughs> no, because we, David Claus. No, because then we get, you know, Christoph Waltz yeah. playing the villain. So, you know, and it's not Spectre for some strange reason. Because it's about Spectre. It's about the, they're the bad guys. Yes, but there was this whole setup in the other ones called Quantum. Maybe Spectre's the, the group in charge of Quantum. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe Spectre branches out into a whole group of different anyway, organisations. Poor Crystal sitting there without an intro. And Crystal! Well, if you're David Claus, I must be Crystal Claus. Or Christmas Claus. Crystal Claus? Crystal Claus, that works. That sounds fantastic. Crystal Claus, I am Crystal Claus, the Christmas rapper. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, make sure you copyright that one. Yeah. Crystal Claus! That's copyrighted. TM'd. <laughs> uh, for this special Christmas episode, we don't have any Christmas-related stuff of any kind. <laughs> <laughs> but we're wishing you all a Merry Christmas. This episode is our free gift to you. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Yeah, we, we were going to review Silent Night, Deadly Night, but somebody told me that that wasn't really a family-friendly Christmas I've already, I've already reviewed that. Yeah, I wanted to review <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. I did that as well. What about three? What about, about, what, about about the the what about the remake? What about the remake of Silent Night? The reboot. The reboot. I don't know why we don't have any Christmas related stuff on here, but uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. Who cares, really? Uh, but for this episode, we do have two dust jackets, as per normal. None of them about Christmas. None of them Christmas related. Uh, and a top five film slash TV that we originally thought were good, but were later revealed to be crap. Uh, so we're playing on from our previous, uh, well, actually top five, two top fives ago, where we were talking about our, uh, you know, favourite stuff from our childhood, films and TV from our childhood, so, the natural progression. I should very quickly chuck a Christmas one in there, <laughs> in my the, list. The nerd culture narrative. <laughs> You're on fire today. I can't think of nerd culture nativity. <laughs> <laughs> You're on fire. <laughs> Cool, so uh, without further ado, let's, let's uh, get cracking. What we really should have done was staged this entire episode like one of those bad Christmas specials that they used to do like in the Don't 70s. Do drugs, kids. I'm thinking, yeah, like the, like the Star Wars Christmas special yeah, or no. the Carpenter's oh. Christmas special where, you know, we ring the doorbell and you're like, well, look who's arrived for Christmas. It's Richo and Luke, <laughs> that sort of thing. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, so let's start off with our dust jackets. Cool, so our first dust jacket is Richo and myself, and we'll be reviewing Babel 17 by Samuel R. Chip to his friends, Delaney. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there'd be a lot more profanity in the book if Samuel L. Jackson wrote book. <laughs> And well, I don't know, well. Samuel, Samuel Delaney wrote Mud, and there's a lot of profanity and other stuff in that. <laughs> Let's move on. Wrestling? Well, Sorry? Wrestling? There's no wrestling. <laughs> and the fact that you haven't read it, that just reveals to me that you haven't read it. <laughs> well, this is Babel 17 and not Mud. Babel 17 is Delaney's sixth novel, and it was written when he was only 23 years old. So what's that say about us? 
Where's our novels at 23? Well, usually most of the, the authors are writing stuff at that age aren't very good, so yeah, I'm interested point. to see what. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's actually number 154 on Sci-Fi List's Top 200. Um, but more importantly, the reason why we decided to do this book was that it's actually the co-winner um, of the Hugo Award that it shared with the previous book that I, I reviewed, um, which was Flowers for Algernon. This is eye business. It was you and me, dude. The team review. There is it no eye in team. <laughs> That's right. yeah, I get I nowhere pick. unless the team <laughs> succeeds. <laughs> the rich matron team. It right? was his pick, though. Okay, when on. a richer becomes preeminent, he's expected <laughs> to have enthusiasms. Move <laughs> 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 on. Yeah, so um, basically, uh, Dave and I were sort of intrigued to see, you know, given that they're co-winners. Yeah. Um, you know what the Why? sort of contrast and comparing of the Why book is. Why not one edge over the other? Ed- edge over the other, exactly right. Um, the first thing I noticed in reading uh, Babel Seventeen is that it is a very, very different type of book, <laughs> which is which is fascinating in and of itself. But um, Babel Seventeen centres around Rydra Wong, who is our main character. She is a the world's or the galaxy's most respected poet. Um, people just absolutely adore her work. We actually get to see several of those people that adore her work. Um, but she's also a former military intelligence where she worked in specifically in cryptography. And she has a skill with, first of all, with reading people, but also in understanding and interpreting different languages. Um, it's almost like, I guess, like an innate skill, almost a, a, a paranormal skill, you might say. Like she seems to be incredibly incredibly good at it preternaturally preternaturally good at it let's put it that way Um, (laughs) she exists in a in a earth uh, empire galaxy which is actually at war with this group that are basically just referred to as the invaders yeah anyway military intelligence um, is having to deal with a series of sabotage um, attacks that have occurred from the invaders um, and what they discover is messages are being broadcast just before the attacks occur um, and they've recorded those messages but they can't decipher them and the messages jointly put together and called Babel 17 as the code name to try for them to try and work it out now their cryptographers can't figure it out so uh, the head of military intelligence actually brings it to Rydra um, because of the skill that she has in deciphering things and um, asks her to actually break the code very quickly she realises that the code isn't actually a code it's it's a language in order for her to understand that language she needs to get more examples of Babel 17 she is able to determine though where the next attack is going to occur and so basically she assembles a crew to, uh, yeah, she assembles a crew to um, to actually get her to where the next attack is so she can get more of this, so she can continue to decipher that. That's sort of really where the plot of the story goes from that point. Um, she assembles a really, I, I found actually quite fascinating crew. Like, the world building here I thought was really interesting. Um, the way ships work is, is that, first of all, you have a pilot and the pilot's nervous system is connected to the ship. And pilots basically sell themselves by wrestling one another and their skill is in fights is what enables people to sort of spot the good pilots and um she actually picks up a pilot called brass who looks like a lion he's like a lion man because 
basically, uh, they, the, the things are sort of broken up into administration and transport in this area of the world. The transport people, who were basically like your old school sailors, and where old school sailors would get tattoos and things like that to sort of distinguish themselves, people in this world get genetic enhancements. So they'll get wings and horns and, like I said, Brass the pilot looks like a, a lion. They'll actually enha- enhance themselves that way. There's one scene later on where a guy gets a cage put into his shoulder with a dragon, so that the dragon can come out of the cage and sit on his shoulder. It's that that kind of weird cosmetic surgery is what occurs. Um, that sounds awesome. Yeah, she. Um, there's a lot of that. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of stuff that you know. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, there is. Um, so navigation crews are made up of three people, and they um, bond both. Like emotionally and romantically and sexually, in order to be able to function properly, one of the navigation crew she picks up is also somebody who is dead and brought back to life as a consciousness. There are also you, you have what's an eyes, ears, and nose as part of the crew as well, who are basically ghosts. They're discorporated entities that no one no one can detect. So um, Ryder actually sends them out to find out information for, and she keeps um, ears handy with her a lot of the time when she's talking to people so that the ears can get that information and then pass it on to the, to the nose and, and the eyes to sort of um, interpret what's going on. And um, the, the makeup of the crew and the building of the world in that regard is quite interesting. And um, But really what Delaney is focusing on here uh, more than anything else is language, the nature of language, the science of language, and also uh, the philosophy of language. But along the way, that doesn't stop Ryder from getting involved in, like, you know, battles with, uh, you know, starship battles and things like that. She hooks up with pirates at one point, space pirates, and, uh, you know, there's some nice uh, political intrigue and assassinations and things going on at the same time. She's, she's a very cool character. She is. She is She is an awesome character and kind of indicative of that movement in the 60s towards actually making strong, empowered female characters. Yeah. Um, still not quite, say, at the level of what you get with someone like Ripley later on, but this is the foundation for that. And Delaney's book was actually apparently quite influential on a lot of writers, including Ursula Le Guin, um, and The Dispossessed, which was a book that we reviewed very early on in one of our earliest uh, dust jackets. So now this was a, a, in many ways a difficult book for me to really enjoy. Like what I found was the parts of the book the, the, all, all of this world building, this stuff about uh, language and the nature and philosophy of language, and and you know the bit with the space parts, all of the, the the parts of the book were I, I I really enjoyed, but for most of the book I didn't feel it was really coming together as a whole. That's exactly. As, it. Yeah, as a story that I could really really sink my teeth into. It was a lot of very cool moments and very yeah. cool ideas. Exactly. Like the makeup right. of the crew themselves. I was like, this is brand. Yeah. That there's. Exciting! Nothing really interesting well, happens. It took it took a long time to get to. First of all, it took a long time to assemble the crew. Yeah. And whilst I actually enjoyed that, because as you said, like the world building part of it was awesome. The ideas behind the crew and the nature of the ship was fascinating. But it took a long time to get to that to actually get them to then go off into space to sort of find Babel Seventeen. And when they did go off into space, some interesting things happened. But for a long time, when I was reading it, I was thinking this really needs to start coming together. Yeah. Into something more yeah it was, I mean to, to borrow a Luke term <laughs> the story the story should have started a lot sooner yeah yeah exactly right and um, certain, there's a certain sort of twist that I won't give away but something happens to Rydra at the end of um, 
the second last. Yeah, I was, I was interested if you, if you were going to talk about it. Is that, that, that's a pretty major spoiler. Yeah, and it? I'm not going to spoil it. Yeah, yeah, but something know. happens to her which leads into the final book. And I thought the last book was actually probably the, the more interesting part because things it's are actually coming together. Yeah, everything comes um, together, yeah. But it took a long time to get there. And at the end of the day, it wasn't as satisfying as I would have hoped, even when that conclusion does happen. Yeah. Whilst I, I, I didn't mind reading, and I'm glad I did, and I enjoyed elements of it, and as somebody who had studied philosophy of language when I was at university, I was intrigued by that. But it still didn't come together as a as a sort of coherent whole for me. Yeah, I'm with you. As as a fan of language, it it, it was it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, as I, I'm always always admire writers who can actually come up with their own languages. You know, you know, Tolkien and you know whoever invented Klingon and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I do admire that sort of stuff, and and I do like the revelation yes. about the language. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Now I know where it's come from because yeah. it's been borrowed, you know, from other writers since then. And, and I love Rydra as a character. I think she's awesome. I think she's a fully fleshed and powerful female figure. Yeah. But even then, he still can't help but can't go with help the, himself. The, the... To go with the, she's beautiful and everybody falls in love that's, with that's her. That's what I was like, about to get still, to. That's yeah. what I was about to get to. I mean, but then, but then it, it, I mean, she's a, she's a powerful and strong-willed and independent woman, you know, sort of stuff. And yet, like you said, the precursor to Ripley. So. Yeah. yeah, but the, you say, as you say, the precursor to Ripley, who still manages to get about in her panties. That is true. That's a sore point for, for the Alien film as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so there's that scene is, is unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, but, but, then, but yeah, so he still, he still, you know, he still, she still has the pirate lovers and, and, you know, and everybody wants her and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And she, and she at, at times I thought she actually kind of bordered on Mary Sue. And I thought it was kind of... It was, like, was? She, she didn't go, she didn't go all the way. There was, was just sometimes where I was like, can this girl do no wrong? But to be fair, a lot of male heroes uh, are the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Captain Kirk. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Captain Kirk. <laughs> I think um, what, and I, I must admit, I was feeling that a bit. And when you sort of get to the, the later part of the book and the spoiler parts happen, I, I could see where where it was all yeah where it was all coming together in that regard. And so I actually was able to look back on the earlier sort of Mary Sueish parts and sort of go, yeah. well. Yeah, okay, I can see where, where you were heading with this. So, and just, and just to yeah. clarify what I said about how, you know, and she, and she had pirate loves and stuff, that's totally fine. I mean, yeah. she's a strong and independent woman, and she can have as many lovers as she wants. I don't but care. everybody falls but in love But everybody it. wants it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Um, uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, with that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess it goes sort of go back to what I said before. Is it was a lot of cool facets, like the crew were awesome. Um, it is in like cool sort of like cool moments. Mm. And, uh, I mean, and my favourite is actually sort of the revelation. It's like, well... Yeah. Now what is she going to do? Yeah. I mean, she's, she's, yeah. she did everything she was told to do and now she's screwed. Yeah. Um, and so I, so I did like that sort of stuff, but the actually the overall sort of story, it just yeah. wasn't that engaged. The lady has to be given credit, though. First of all, this is a pretty ambitious thing to do for a 23-year-old writer Yeah. to really try and push the, the, the nature of narrative and sentence structure and, and play with the type of language that he was using in the way that he does. He's often actually compared to a lot of to to people like James Joyce in, in that regard. In fact, Delgren, one of his other books, was described uh, by a reviewer as um, Ulysses' uh, ugly stepbrother, because mm. um, apparently he gets more he gets more ambitious with that later on. Um, and this book is credited for helping to sort of push the idea of bringing you know things like literary theory and language theory and that sort of stuff, and, and bringing those just that general 
approach of bringing philosophy into science fiction at at this kind of level, at at the level where you're actually then, you know, writing the book and structuring it in in certain ways. There's there's a section where he has one sentence that runs for three or four pages, Hmm. but it just spiced in amongst that sort of cutting into it a bit really is these sections of poetry yeah. written by Rydra about what's going on um, which is really really quite fascinating um, and actually it reminds me a little bit of the weird thing you see in stars yeah stars yeah um, at the end at the end of stars where the language the, and the way it's presented on the page is part of what's going on yeah. and part of the story um, cool. but yeah but yeah it's, it's, it's a sort of as a whole doesn't quite come together cool having said that um, I appreciated reading it. I appreciated what he was trying to do. And because of that, I'm going to give it three stars. Or three looks, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I read it as well. Um, I, I just think I think Flowers is the clearly better book. And but so, yeah, it I don't is. understand why they, sort of, why, they were, why they were tired. I just think I think Flowers should have just won it and, and this came second. And, that, you know, that's fine. Um, it's, and, yeah, I think, I think fair, three is a, three is a, a fair... I mean, it's very competently done, and it's, yeah. it's full of so many cool ideas. So, yeah. Three looks. Three looks it is. So that was uh, Samuel uh, Delaney. Now, um, one of the things that I, I sort of found while reviewing this is, actually, I like to research the author themselves. Um, and, wow, Samuel R. Delaney, or Chip, as he's, as he's known to his friends, is, is uh, a fascinating figure. And while I was sort of researching him and sort of delving deeper into, into him and, and sort of his sort of his personal life... So the idea sort of struck me is that, and I just want to sort of throw it at you guys, uh, just as a, as a you know short discussion. It's just how far should we go to distance uh, the creators that we like, so the personal lives of the creators that we like from their works, you know? And it sort of it sort of comes back to the Orson Scott, Scott Card controversy that we we're talking about with with the Enders film and stuff like that. Like Orson Scott Card, I just you know my personal opinion, I just think. He's not a very good, nice person. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just some views that I very strongly disagree with. Um, and yet, still, Enders is still, you know, an enjoyable sort of sort of thing that's not a read. Um, well, you know, <laughs> um, Samuel, Samuel, so, and the reason this sort of come up is because Samuel Delaney uh, is a supporter of the Nambla movement, uh, as a movement, uh, the foundation that believes that uh, boys and men should engage in sexual activity, and that it's a, it's a healthy thing, um, and. You know, it, it's quite a controversial thing, and then and then sort of you know sort of other other sort of creators. So you've got you know William S. Burroughs who killed his wife, you know, while he was high. You've got uh, the recent really serious uh, controversy with um, of Mari and Zimmer Bradley's abuse of her daughter Mara, um, and you've got you know people like uh, editor and writer Jim Frankel, who's a, a documented. Uh, serial sexual harasser at cons and stuff like that, um, and that's just that's just to name a few. I mean, there's plenty of other artists, mm-hmm. you know, creators, you know, uh, even you know, going from um, our news from episode 120 where we're talking about Pat Paul, Broderick, Pat Broderick, yeah, yeah, and you know, and his sort of views. I mean, there's just these, you know, their own personal lives. How do we go to go personally and sort of distancing us their work from them? Well, I I find it hard. Well, most of those people you mentioned, I haven't actually read. Any of this, I've read Ender's Game and I didn't really like it anyway, so I don't have any problems there. But uh, a lot of works, I would assume that the authors put a lot of themselves into their work, so I'd find it hard to separate. The only one example I could come up with where I would find it difficult was 
Adam Baldwin. Apparently he's a bit of a bully in real life, but I really enjoy his character Jane on Firefly. Mm. Uh, that's a little more easier to separate, I guess, because Jane is not Adam. It's a separate person altogether, a different character. It just happens to be Adam playing that character. For, for instance, I couldn't imagine that my favourite author, Christine Catherine Rush, is... I haven't researched or anything, but I imagine she's not some sort of right-wing, Nazi, racist, gay-hating person. She's probably got a fairly similar worldview as what I do, but I couldn't be sure. Um, I can't imagine what I would do if I found out she was, but still really enjoyed her work. I think I would probably still try to enjoy the work, but I, I think that would hinder my enjoyment. I think it would really have an effect. For, for me, the first thing is exactly what is the issue I have with them. Like, if somebody is just, say, right-wing, like um, Bill Willingham is a, a good example. I mm. love fables. Absolutely love fables. Bill Willingham is very right-wing, and I completely disagree with his political stance on a lot of things. Mm. But it doesn't withdraw my appreciation of fables as a series. I still thoroughly enjoy it. He's not um, into, into criminal activity or anything. Well, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was very, yeah, very, like, very vocal about uh, Orson's awesome. card. I guess um, well, I just want to point just something very quick. Something Chris was there. It doesn't have to be sort of criminal activity, you know. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I mean, it's just Samuel Delaney's support of Nambler is he holds views that you find abhorrent. Yeah, views, views. I, no, no, I wouldn't say abhorrent. I mean, you're entitled to your opinion, but mm-hmm. I just, I just disagree with them. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. just and, and that's, but so that, that that's I think the point that I, I'm trying yeah. to make is yeah. that if you if if an author has a viewpoint that I disagree with, I may or may not read them if that viewpoint isn't like really pushed in their product, then I might give it a little bit more leeway. Gotcha. In that, in that, I loved, I loved Ender's Game, and I freely acknowledged I loved Ender's Game. What I objected to with Orson Scott Card was not his anti-homosexual phobia crazy rant person that he is, but it was more that he was actively, actually going out of his way to fund and be on the board of a group who is actively going out of their way to oppress another group. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's that, that action part of it, really, and I didn't want to contribute to that. Gotcha. Having said that, at some point, I, I mean, I have a copy of Speaker of the Dead, which I bought secondhand, well, like, before I even knew who was about Orson Scott Card. And we will review that at some point, because it's on my list. It's part of the review and everything. And, I, and it'll be interesting to see how I go with that review, knowing what I know about him now. Gotcha. If somebody's involved in something totally abhorrent, to me, that's an, a whole other matter. Mm. If somebody is being abusive to somebody or, you know, um, that's when I find it very difficult to just distinguish between the product and the person. Yeah. What I've found lately is it's over the last year or two, we've seen a lot of our childhood TV stars, like TV dads, it turned out to be uh, pedophiles and rapists. So that, I find that yeah. hard, and I don't know that I could go back and watch those shows. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Yeah. I, I never want to see um, Hey Dad. Dad. I never want to listen to another, you know, Timey Kangaroo Down or anything like that. I just yeah. I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Um, I can't. A, a friend of mine, I, I love glam rock, and a friend of mine recently did a glam rock compilation for me, yeah. and it has Gary Glitter songs on it. Yeah, yeah and I just can't, can't listen to them. I mean, they're terrible anyway, so <laughs> I mean, that, that is part of it. They are terrible songs, but at the same time, you know, Do You Want My Body takes on a whole different meaning when you know what you know about him now. Yeah. If you don't know their predilections um, before going into it, so if you hadn't read, say, 
Samuel Delaney and known his about his Nambler support. Um, I think you're probably on safe, it's safer ground. You know, you yeah. shouldn't have to read up on an author. Well, of course, if yeah. you don't know, so, that's a whole different story. You shouldn't have to read up on an author to to be able to enjoy their work. Yeah. Um, but if you do go and make the choice to read up and then discover that, then you've got to take on... It's not necessarily a responsibility, but you've got to then go, okay, if I'm choosing to read this author, then I've got to be aware that by borrowing this book out from the library, which means the library is going to library association is going to give him a certain amount of money. If I'm buying a book, then you know my money is giving him a certain that that yeah. in some degree I am. I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying I enable or choose choose that, but I am. You know, then giving him a sort of further fuel for his for his fire. I do believe that you know there should be a stepping point. If you do enjoy an author's work, you should be able to enjoy it in and of itself. Um, but at the same time, if you do actually decide to follow up and you know find out about more about that author, that you know you are um, giving not giving them a license, but you are saying, okay, yes, I'm giving you money to further your um, support agenda, or your uh, cause. Yeah. I'm a fan of fan, I'm a big fan of Frank Miller, yeah. and I will you know and I'll, I'll continue to, to read his work for the most part. I haven't read Holy Terror, but I'm also doing that in the knowledge that he is actually a right wing nutbag. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, I guess, it's not like he's going out on the streets and beating up people or no, anything. He's not, like, no, and, he's and not. And yes, ideas can be dangerous. I fully acknowledge that ideas can be dangerous. Um, well, that's a perfect segue to my next thing. It's like, okay, so the classic example, I suppose, is is Hitler's Mein Kampf. Have Hitler's, you read it? Will you read it? Would you buy it? That sort of stuff. Yes, I've read it. Yeah. I read it because I wanted to understand how a person like that and how a book like that can result in what actually happened because of that book. Because I, I needed to try, I, I wanted to try and get my head around it, and I can't. And I actually, after reading the book and sort of thinking about it, I'm glad that I can't. I'm glad that I can't get into that mindset and that I yeah, can't. You exactly. Know. Um, but that was that was slightly different because I was coming at it in hindsight from historical perspective. Yeah, I, I read it for basically yeah. curiosity, and for basically it's the same thing. It's like yeah. what the hell? I haven't read it. Yeah. I probably would like to read it. For yeah. the for the for the things that you mentioned, I would probably be a bit careful. I try and research the publishers who have published it to make sure that if if it was say being just published by a university, publishing it you know for um uh, histor- for historical documents to actually get this you mm. know book out to say why this is then I, that's when I, those are the editions I probably go for yeah um so that you know I wasn't Not the ones that I put wasn't it out as a actually, manifesto yeah I just wanted to add that. Sometimes I think ignorance is bliss. Sometimes I think it's disappointing to find out about what people are like in their real lives, like say someone like Charlton Heston, NRA. Yeah, yeah. uh, and not only is he just a part of it, he's like the president of it, and he's all for, yeah, everybody should have arms. And that's such an opinion that I so strongly disagree with that I find it hard to watch him and not and divorce myself from that. Although I don't find him a great at that greater actor anyway, so I wasn't. You know, but <laughs> that's that, that's awesome an example of, of something that. You know, I often come across something. I'll hear something and go, "Oh, you know, I wish I hadn't. I wish I didn't know that." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay. Charlton Heston yeah. actually is a is an interesting example mm. and brings up a, another point. I think um, for I have the same reaction. It's like NRA crazy, you know. But at the same time, in in reading up on Charlton Heston, he was also you know, very heavily involved in civil rights and marched with with Martin Luther King. And yeah. I mean, yeah. So so. Sometimes it, it probably helps to look at everything that the person the has done picture. and all yeah, of their, the all picture, of their views might, might help with yeah, the kind of stuff that... They're a three-dimensional human being and that's yeah, it. the NRA yeah. isn't the defining 
character of his being. Yeah. I keep going to want to say NRA, mate. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say this. Yeah, yeah I, well, I guess I guess I'll finish finish up with uh, with mine. I guess um, is just yeah. I, I actually I had a bit of a problem. I must admit uh, doing the research on on Samuel. Um, I still think he is still an excellent author. Um, a bit um, reading up on him and and uh, his views, and especially his book Mud, which we joked about earlier. I just I just I just found the entire topic apart, and will never ever review it. But uh, I just. Yeah, there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of creators that I like their work and don't necessarily like them, but I'm still going to enjoy their work for what it is. Mm. And I just I really like Luke's point. As long as their views aren't in the work, and I'm then, I'm supporting their views in some way. Back to what Richo said, mm. then I'm cool with it. Our next take up will be Crystal and Luke, and they're going to be reviewing Sacrifice, the first book of the Fae, by Christine Catherine Rush. And uh, not hard to guess that it was Crystal's pick. <laughs> so that's a shocker. <laughs> I picked this book while while David and I were reviewing David Edding's. Uh, I forget which book it was. The Elenium. They're pretty much all the same. <laughs> <laughs> I will slap you. Hold uh, my thought. <laughs> as, I was, as I was reading, because uh, um, th- it's been a long time since I've read any fantasy, but as I was reading the David Edding's stuff, I, I, I remembered this series, the Fae series by Christine Catherine Rush. Yeah, I was wondering to myself if it would be like our top five, if it'll be one of these books that I really loved at the time, but if I read it again later, it, it wouldn't be so great. But I remembered thinking it was a um, not your typical fantasy in that I couldn't sort of predict or I wasn't, you know, in both fantasy books, I'm, I'm not surprised where they go with the story. This one, I couldn't really predict where she was going to go, and uh, there were some surprises. It's got your typical fantasy tropes in that it's set in a kingdom. Um, you've got magical creatures. There's uh, one group fighting against another group. But that's probably as far as it goes. It starts off in a place called Nye, where the Fae who are a magical race of people, have just... Well, I think they've been there for about 20 years. They've conquered the Fae. Uh, uh, their mission in life is to conquer the entire world, take over the entire world. The Black King's son, Rugar, he decides he wants to go on to the Blue Isle, which is the next step before loot, but then they can take over the rest of the world. Um, but the Black King, Rugad, is against this. But Rugar wins out in the end and takes his uh, very talented daughter Jewel with him to the Blue Isle and they embark on taking it which they think will be a quick and easy takeover because there's just a defenceless little island that uh, have not had any warfare in the recent past and they think it'll be a quick takeover but to their surprise they find it it's not so quick the, the, the Blue Isle to their, to, to their own surprise have a weapon to fight back with and to the, to the Blue Islanders' surprise as well, they've got a weapon to fight back with. Yeah. It should also be pointed out in terms of the plot that Ruger has had a vision of his daughter standing with a child on the Blue Isle as well, and that's Correct. why he's going. Correct, yes. Ruger is a, as a, as a member of the black family. He, they have black blood. He, uh, he's a, a... They have black blood? That they call the people in, the, in that family, they say they have black blood. Like, royal families have yeah. blue blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He assumes this is going to be a victory. But what he doesn't do and what he should do is and then consult with the shaman and compare visions. 
And they compare visions. Yes. That's awesome. Visionaries visionaries compare visions with other visionaries because you only get bits and pieces of visions. Like Minority Report, the the, the precogs. Yeah. Nobody gets the full story. Nobody gets the full story. And you compare and and you try and work out what the the true path is. They have, instead of uh, the fae, instead of having gods, they have the mysteries and the powers. And these are the, that's where they believe these visions come from. The fae, they have other powers as well. Um, They have... Uh, like multitudes of powers, you have pe- uh, like the beast riders who are sort of that once they choose their form, it can be an animal. So when they're in an animal form, it looks like a little human on top of an animal, but their actually legs go into that, and then they can morph back into human form. You've That's got cool. shapeshifters who are the, like the highest of the fae, and there's very they're very rare who can shift into another shape. You've got. Um, uh, doppelgangers. Doppelgangers who this is quite gross, but what they can do is jump onto the back of another person they, they sort of dig in through the eyes and meld themselves with this person mm-hmm. they they absorb all the person's personality and memories and the original person their skeleton sort of falls mm-hmm. away but before they do this they have to slaughter someone else and coat themselves in blood mm-hmm. so some of the good guys yes <laughs> so, some of the some of the, some of the, some, of the, some of it can be quite gory but um Anyway, so the, the Fae get to the Blue Isle and, uh, as we said, the, 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 the islanders find that they have this weapon to fight back. Um, the story gets quite involved, so I won't delve too much into the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, from then on, the series sticks on, stays on the Blue Isle and you get to know the characters, uh, the island characters, the king and the... When you say the series, do you mean the rest of the book or the rest of the books in the The rest of the book series so far. Now, I'm, like you with the David Eddings, I I, I took off after this book and I kept reading the rest of the series and (laughs) I'm up to about the the fourth book, I think. And I think that's where I finished last time. And I'm very excited to get to the next two books, which I've never read before because I didn't have access to them at the time. So, yeah, I will flip it over to Luke to see what he's... I'm very interested to see what Luke thinks. Okay, um, I confess I only made it to 150 pages mm-hmm. of the book. Um, it's, a, the, uh, it's 478 pages, and I tried to get to my, you know, my usual benchmark of 200. Um, part of that was due to time. The other one was due to uh, a flagging interest in what was going on. It's the way that it's structured is a bit like what was going on with a lot of fantasy at the time. Um, the the prime example these days being Game of Thrones, which is um, each chapter being told from a different character's point of view, which I have I have a natural dislike of anyway because it means that um you disrupt the you disrupt the flow of the narrative to jump to a different point in time and geography to get a different person's perspective the on what's going on. Um, so I've got a natural... I didn't think it jumped to a different point in time. Uh, as in, but in a sort of different geography. So you go into mm. the castle, down to the battlefield. Um, yep. And I, and, I, and look, I, to be fair, I have, to be fair to the novel, I have I have a natural dislike of that against that anyway. I don't like mm. it when science fiction does it. I don't like it when fantasy does it. I like to stick with mm. a, a certain character for at least a chapter or two before branching out or jumping mm. off. I could be biased, but I do think she did it better than George R.R. Martin. I found that quite frustrating and he used when he did it because you just start to get to know the character and mm. move on, whereas I think she sort of rounded the character out a bit more before it moved on. The problem with George R.R. Martin is he's got, he's got like, you know, hundreds of characters that he jumps around to <laughs> yeah. and, let's be frank, not all of them are particularly interesting. So when you get yes. to Sansa, you see they're going, right. Anyway, yeah. back to... Back to, back to this one. Back to this one. Some of the characters, there were, there were hints of potential there, but... Where the what the point where I ended up 
finishing out, which is the end of the first major battle. I'm assuming the first battle. I can't. I wasn't really interested enough in them to actually keep going. Um, you know, Jules presented as being someone t sort of interesting and strong, but then, you know, we then de delve into other characters and we're not allowed to follow her for a while. And then the next mm. time we see her, she's really in the thick of battle, having to sort out some other stuff. So take so my, because he jumps around, it means that you know we can't develop the characters. Nicholas doesn't real didn't really leap out at me, nor did his mm. father Alexander. Even Rugar, Rugar spends a lot of time just sitting on the boat, going, "I want to do this, I want to do that." People mm. are arguing against me. I want to do this, mm. and I just wanted I wanted someone to stop and say, "Right, can we do something, please?" I do have to wonder whether I would have felt the same way. It was when I when I originally read the series, it must have been fifteen. 15 yeah. years ago or something. This came out in I, so. I, I accidentally read the second book first, hmm. um, not realising. <laughs> I, I picked it at the library and not, not realising it was the second book in the series, and that happened to me quite a lot, which yeah. I found quite a lot. Anyway, I sort of got halfway <laughs> through the second book and thought, I think there must have been something before this, and I was right. So I'd read the second book first. So when I read the first book, hmm. I was already familiar with the yeah. characters, so I, that, that could have possibly helped there. Hmm. Um, even though I read 150 pages, I actually I, I could have re, I could have stopped at page 50 and started my review. Mm. So yeah, characters I don't think not being particularly interesting. Um, she also repeats quite a lot. So quite a lot you get you know being told that the Fey are the most fearsome race and they have been conquered, you know, from about five different people. Now you know in reality you know you're getting people being told that information for the first time, which I got no problem with. Yeah. Um, but I you know there are ways of saying you know. Giving, telling them that this person knows information without needing to tell me as a reader mm. constantly. Um, Richard was mentioning it happened a couple of times in Babel 17. Uh, you know, as, as an old example, and a recent example was um, the TV show Downton Abbey, which, you know, characters get told, retold things several times, but as an audience member, we only get told them once. Mm. And then, you know, they cut away in the script to something else whilst this character is being told information. Um, and so that annoyed, that annoyed me. And I thought one of the things that these, some of these 150 pages needed was a really was a series edit. You could have cut certainly, I thought, maybe fifty pages out um, without losing what's important. Um, I, yeah, think I think, I think there's the, just a lot of I think there's just a lot of over description. That's the thing with fan. That's a, a common thing with fantasy, though. And you've got mm. to remember this. This is the first book in a series of mm. five or six books. Mm. And taking that taking that into consideration, and even Tolkien takes his, takes his time getting going. Mm. Um, you still could have cut back on some of the superfluous description without mm. losing the essential, what's essential to the story. That's true. You could have made it a bit more mil minimalist, mm. but I quite enjoy the superfluous description, as you put it. It, it just, it just get, it gets, you sit there going, it, it's, get, it's actually interrupting mm. the flow, yeah. um, and it's better to sort of try and give me an impression of what's going on, mm. feed my imagination a little bit, and then keep going from there. No, I... I, I... I like the in-depth descriptions that, that happens. I do find, though, in the following books that sometimes some stuff gets repeated and I'm thinking, yeah, I know this, move on. But it's written in such a way that you could possibly pick it up as mm. a, a standalone book. And, that, and that, what I was doing was I was actually you know, skipping whole chunks mm. simply because I was going, I don't feel like I'm getting anything particularly relevant or, yeah, okay, it's, it's, you're describing the world particularly important to what's going on in the story mm. here. I'm getting another yeah. description. Which I think is probably detrimental because mm. they could be, well, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but they could possibly, probably, maybe skipping could possibly come into play mm. much later on. Things do tie in very well 
even like within this book and the next and the following series it, it all ties together very well and there's some things that like I almost forget about and then they come up later and go oh that's where that comes in um, and, and, and whilst that you know you want things to tie together into the at the end also reading it in the moment as well it's got to have um, it's got to feel you know fresh and invigorating and still want me, compel me to read further on to get to mm. um, books two and three yeah and I never felt that I felt but uh, it, I felt like 150 pages, and I still really had, didn't have much of a story. I had one very long fight scene, in which there were some some kind of interesting things. And I did confess that the one character who I was starting to become interested in was Silence, the doppelganger who we meet, because he, you know, his personality does fall by the wayside a little bit, and he's got to assume the personality of the person he's taking over. Yeah, I was kind of interested in that, but I was sitting there going, okay. This is a, fight, a battle sequence. I actually want the story now. The, the battle sequence could have been, you know, the first twenty pages of another yeah. novel, and the story is the fallout that happens from mm. there. It's, it's, it's really uh, it would be really hard to judge my version, uh, my e version, seven hundred ninety five pages. Um, hard to judge it on one hundred and fifty pages and having skipped chunks. But I understand where mm. you're coming from. It's not a book for everybody. Uh, my original intention was uh, David would read it because I wanted to show him something that was actually more imaginative and uh, better than David Eddings. Oh! <laughs> they're, um, pay, they're filing for divorce is about to happen. You realise that, I can still read it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Luke makes a good point, and I can't agree or disagree, as I said, having read the first time, read the second book first, mm. which meant I was more involved with the characters in the first book, so I sort of I already knew the character, so I can't tell you whether they're how engaging they were or what. But it's a good setup for the rest of the series, and and I, and I just it's amazing world building sort of stuff. And, and uh, she has borrowed stuff from fan, other fantasy, like you got, like I said at the start, she's got the the usual fantasy tropes, but she's created her own creatures, her own characters, and her own. The, the Fae have their own... There's a whole culture there, and, and, and it's much, much richer and diverse. And uh, and I think if Luke had... It, if he was interested and had kept reading, he would have been surprised in which directions the story had it took, taken. Um, I'm not too disappointed with Luke or, or surprised, because <laughs> I, 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 he pretty much said what I expected he would say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to pick a book that Luke would like, <laughs> because, as we all know, he's the harshest critic in the world. I highly recommend this series. If you, like me, at some point got sick of fantasy, because they all started following the same sort of path, you know, you, find, you have to find the magical thing to bring peace to the world and do it, go on a quest to do the thing, this is not like that. This is this is this is better. And and um, you know, one thing I did get sick about fantasy is there's multiple books and you just have to keep you know keep reading. But this one, I'm devouring the multiple books. So for the first book, I give this book a four. Um, and I'd like to come back later maybe and tell you the overall series rating when I finish the the last three and a half books, two and a half books, because the second book. Yeah, I might have even given it a five. I don't know. The, the stories are starting to blend together now, so it's hard for me to separate which one's one, two, three. I give you the Faye series highly recommended. Well, I don't give it the high recommendation that you do. <laughs> um, and your comments are actually not surprising. I'm not disappointed by your comments either, <laughs> it should be pointed out. <laughs> I knew reading this why, you like, and I knew you'd like things like the, the, the description and the over-description. That's 
your thing. My thing is that it, it, it can't just be set up for the rest of the series. It's got to be an involving story in and of itself. Well, there is, but you only gave it 150 pages. Yes, and that's my thing. <laughs> the, should, the story should be there somewhere by page 50, and yeah. by 150 pages, if all I've gotten is a battle scene, then mm. then there needs to be, you know, first of all, series editors, as I've said, plus also some, you know, storytelling. Um, I give this I give this one and a half. Cool. I, I like I like the uh, the idea of the follow up. So I'll I'll read at the very least the first one, and mm. then we'll follow up on it, and you can do it as a series, and I'll give yeah. my opinions on the first one. I'm intrigued. Good. <laughs> That's my intention. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Well, as normal, we'll uh, we'll announce our books for the next Dust Jacket episode, which will be uh, let's see now my quick math skills one twenty six. Yes. Ooh. So you were able to work out that. 122 plus 4 <laughs> equals 126. Exactly you must be some kind of mathematician. <laughs> Are you saying, mathematician, I like that. Are you saying there's a pattern to this thing? That's that's basically what I'm saying. Okay. There is a pattern, there's a method to the madness. <laughs> right. Anyway, so uh, Richard Schwess? Yes, I am doing The Rediscovery of Man by Cordwainer Smith. Cordwainer. Cordwainer. Isn't that like a collection of short stories? Yeah, but as far as I can tell, I mean, I haven't read it yet. So, right. but as far as I know, it's um kind of like the Martian Chronicles or oh, okay. um, I Robot, you know, similar, you know, series of short stories, but telling a bigger picture overall. So. And just a quick preview: what we have? What? It, where is it on the list? You don't know. You're not a mathematician. I'm not a mathematician. No, no, no. I'll, I'll check that because the list often changes. So I'll check that obviously before the episode. <laughs> Did you say mathematician? Yeah, mathematician. You mathematician before. Uh, anyway, so uh, in the next, uh, the next. Uh, crew choice is uh, myself uh, so I've decided to go with a Jack Reacher novel I'm a big fan of the Jack Reacher novels uh, by Lee Child um, and since Crystal's doing it with me I thought I'd start off with uh, one that's a pretty good introduction to the character and, and the universe which is One Shot which is also the one that was uh, then turned into the movie Reacher with the horribly miscast Tom Cruise uh, that doesn't play well for the book <laughs> <laughs> the book is the book is good it's, it's, it, it'll be fine you'll, you'll enjoy it okay as, as that. regular listeners will know, as Luke and I are both fans of, of uh, young Jack Reacher. Young Jack Reacher. Young Jack Reacher. Let's <laughs> not call everybody, everybody young. <laughs> anyway, that's it for our dust jackets. Let's move on to our top five. Top five films slash TV that we thought were good at the time, but later reveal later viewings reveal they're actually not quite good. <laughs> It doesn't have to be childhood stuff, be modern, modern stuff. So let's uh, let's continue the rotation from uh, episode one twenty, which basically means me going first. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I'm not going to spend too much time on it. A couple of these things we've already mentioned in previous episodes. So number five, I've got Maximum Overdrive, uh, which, like I said, we uh, Aaron, Aaron and myself watched again, uh, you know, fairly recently. It was a film from our childhood, and it's just rubbish. It's rubbish from start to finish. Um, but it has, does have the Green Goblin on the face of a truck, and so therefore it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but you realise after a while that that's actually the only good that's thing. The about only the good thing about it. Uh, and now before I uh, have uh, what we mentioned from um, our childhood uh, top fives, the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes' younger brother. Um, absolutely loved it as a kid. Loved it, and uh, I can tell you now, don't waste your time. It's just it's an embarrassment to all involved. Uh, and number three, uh, the Carry On films. 
For some reason, I just thought they were the height of comedy when I was about five. <laughs> I don't know why I was allowed to watch these things. They're, they're very weird. much of their time. They're very they much, and, and even then, they're not very good. And I think that showed when you when you see some of the the sort of eighties ones that they tried to do. Yeah, where they tried to recapture that spirit. It's like. No, no, these are very much of the 50s and 60s. Obviously, my parenting wasn't very good if I was watching them at five. But uh, and, you know, and true, I probably didn't understand half the jokes, let's be honest. Uh, but I don't know. It's, I've, I've watched a couple of them you know, about 10 years ago or something, and I was like, what am I doing? Uh, but it's still a fond place in my heart. At number two, I've got a TV show, and that's MacGyver. Uh, now, MacGyver, <laughs> this is actually it's, it's a really sore point for me because uh, when, I, when I watched this as a, as a kid, as a, as a young person... I just thought MacGyver was the greatest thing ever. I was like, this guy, this guy can do anything at any time. He's just an just absolute legend, and he looks tape. cool doing it. You know, what I mean? it's just you know the, the the old joke with the paperclip and the duct tape and all that sort of stuff. It's like this dude can defuse a nuclear bomb using a paperclip. Legend. And then of course it starts to get bad as it goes on, as all TV shows generally seem to do. Uh, but uh, I watched it fairly recently, um, some some MacGyver, and oh my god. Um, the dialogue is terrible. The acting is atrocious. <laughs> I just, I, I just don't understand why I loved it so much. It's just, not it's the face. I need that for acting. So terrible. <laughs> uh, Luke and I actually saw an episode not too long ago, which was just basically a bad TV remake of Wages of Fear. Yeah. Or Sorcerer being the remake of that film, but and and yeah, just just like almost scene for scene, exactly the same. And it's like. What, did, did you have an original they idea? Did, they that did show? that a couple of times. Yeah, the yeah. episode before that is a remake of The Naked Jungle. Yeah, <laughs> to the point where I'm sitting there, because I've seen The Naked Jungle a couple of times, sitting there going, are they actually using the same stock footage? Yeah, they've, they've done that a couple of times. There's, there's an episode of MacGyver where they use some footage from a Bond film. It's just, That's and it's scary. Like, what mm. is going on? Just to point out, there's, it's not all shows are the same. I mean, the A-Team, let's face it, it's not very good. But I, I've seen an episode fairly recently. You know, I enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it for what it is. You know, what I mean, so I, I can still I can still enjoy oh, pretty full. pretty ordinary <laughs> stuff. Knight Rider, A Team, that sort of stuff. I actually quite like Magnum PI even now. Even now, still holds up. But for, for MacGyver, it was just oh my god, terrible. I, just, I couldn't sit through the entire thing. Uh, so that brings us to number one, and number one's a fairly recent one, which is why I added that thing at the start. Um, and that's uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Now, the Dark Knight Rises is an interesting one for me because. It is, uh, it's the combination of the of Nolan's Batman story, and when I actually saw it in the cinema, I quite enjoyed it. You know, it had some problems, even some obvious problems at the time, but it is, one being it's far too long. Ridiculous. Um, but, um, I mean, I still enjoyed it for what it was at the end, and, you know, it closed the story and all that sort of stuff. It's one of those films that, basically, the second I left the cinema, so as soon as the, cin- the cinema experience had ended, as soon as we were walking out of the cinema, I thought to myself, holy crap, that was terrible. And it's kind of weird how that how that sort of worked. When we then we later then reviewed it. It's one of those. It was actually one of those films that we reviewed the same night that we saw it. We usually review mm. stuff, you know, a couple of days or the day after that we see it as a group. Uh, but we actually reviewed it the same night, and so I was still caught up in the hype. And so I still gave it a fairly reasonable store, score. I do believe. I think I gave it three and a half or something like that. So, um, but now it's it's a one out of five at, mm. at most. It's just I just I, it's actually it's now it's so bad that I actually just can't watch it because it just I actually think it's insulting to the viewers. He insults every, anybody who liked the first two Batman films. So, uh, which it was a bit of bad, it was a bit tad, bad taste in my mouth, which was only taken away by Interstellar, which is awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, so it's, it's, it's the Dark Knight Rises for me. Is it's, it's, I don't know, it's, just, it's, a, it's a weird beast. It's, uh, the very first time was, was I had fun and, and I'll never watch it ever again. So, that's my top five. 
Nice. <laughs> oh, don't you think you'll be watching the cover? Can't you see that my elocution and my the dialogue that I'm saying is absolutely marvelous? <laughs> Just because you can't understand me is not a reflection on me; it is a reflection on you. Exactly. I just want to preface my list by saying I almost put Shakespeare in love in because when I first saw it, I thought, yeah, that was a you know relatively entertaining light piece of fluff. But um, my dislike of the film now actually stems more from. It's Academy Award-winning <laughs> praise that came with that, and it, and, and more importantly, that it built it, it beat several films far superior to it. So, so if it hadn't done so that, it would actually still be one. If it hadn't have done that, I'd, I'd have no problem with it at all, really, for what it was. That reminds me when I was uh, trying to find the stuff for this one, and I was asking people's opinions, and uh, my sister Katie said Romeo and Juliet. Oh, interesting. The Baz Lemon version. Disgrace. I knew you were going to say It's genius. <laughs> It's been a while since I've seen it. Have you seen it from start to finish. Have you seen it recently? I have seen it fairly recently. Yeah, yeah. On Blu-ray. Um, the special cinema version. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Capulets! <laughs> no, the actual sod's in there. My number five <laughs> was actually is also actually Maximum Overdrive. And the reason why, because... You know, Erin, you and I actually started referring at the time to the Maximum Overdrive Syndrome. We actually gave it a name based on that film. It's the mascot of this episode. Yeah, and actually, after you guys had mentioned that you'd watched it and how terrible it was, I actually went and watched it myself just to see if you were wrong, and you actually weren't. You're actually one hundred percent right. It's yeah, just how bad right. the film is. And um, yeah, so because this is because even today I still refer to it as Maximum Overdrive Syndrome. That's why Maximum Overdrive is at number five. Um, my number four, I, I sort of uh, toot and froed a bit on this. I've actually chosen Knight Rider in the end, but I could have chosen any number of god-awful action 80 shows. I could have chosen... Shame the, on you. Could have chosen the A-Team, awesome. uh, Scarecrow, Mrs. King, Manimal, uh, <laughs> Auto Man. I've watched all of these kind Auto of Auto Man was terrible. Actually, Even at the time, it was bad. Let's be honest. I watched, I watched so many of these shows as a kid. Anything, you know... But with the exception, funnily enough, I was never a big fan of Magnum P.I. or Miami Vice. Even, even back then. But... Um, but I, sort of looking back on all those shows and having seen episodes of all of them recently, um, I have to say, Knight Rider is without a doubt the worst. It is cheesy. It is hokey. David Hasselhoff's acting is terrible. Um, everything. Uh, look, I love. You know, I love the Hoff. You know, I love the Hoff. But I love the Hoff because he's bad. <laughs> but um, I love him because he embraces the fact that he's bad. Yeah, exactly. But really, Knight Rider. Its stories are terrible. Yeah. Uh, the acting is terrible. Much like what you were saying about MacGyver, MacGyver is definitely another one that could have gone <laughs> on the list. But for me, it was it was partially that my love of Knight Rider as a kid was so great, yeah. and probably greater than all of the other shows. But yeah, just just awful. I still um, want a car like Kit though. Yeah, Kit was awesome. Oh, absolutely. That will drive me. I don't have to drive it. <laughs> my number three is a relatively little known movie called Runaway. Starring oh, cool. Tom, Selleck. Tom Selleck. Yeah, and uh, Kiss bassist Gene Simmons as awesome. a villain, who, who went through this period of acting as villains in a couple of movies at acting, the time. You call it. Yeah, acting. <laughs> Appear- I say um, I call it movie. He does look awesome as a villain, though. He, he does. Yeah, he's it's because awesome. he kind of just looks. He looks weird like a villain anyway. Yeah. yeah. But um, the idea of this guy that had to hunt down like this other guy that was creating all these killer robots and what what at the time I thought were these really creepy spider robots with needles on the end that would like stick into people I mean when I saw this as a kid at the cinema I thought wow that was awesome and it's not it's not it is in fact one of the worst movies ever made (laughs) 
How slow do those robots move? Uh, they this, just this, kick it away for credit. Because for years I've been hearing about people saying, oh, yeah, it's one of the worst science fiction films ever. And I'm like, no, surely that can't be right. And you know what? It was just terrible. I do not even bother watching this movie to cl- to confirm that it's that bad because this is not worth the time. It's even worse. Do you think it's even worse than Time Guardian? I don't think I've ever seen Time Guardian. That, that, so. that Australian sci-fi film with what, Bruce Beresford or whatever his name is. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's just so. atrociously bad. <laughs> anyway, move on. Um, okay. My number two is also a little-known B-grade movie from the eighties. I like it. Uh, called Night of the Comet. Awesome. Now, I do want to point out, <laughs> I, love this I, own, film. I own this movie on DVD. How is this film on your list? Okay, here's, here's why. You know, long-time listeners will know how much I love the post-apocalyptic futures, the dystopian futures, and, and this one is a zombie holocaust movie, and I just love that sort of stuff. I really, really do. I am shocked. But watching the movie recently... First of all, it stars Chakotay from... Um, it doesn't star Chakotay. Right. It stars the two girls. Don't take anything okay, away please. from them. Okay, please. Chakotay is the main love interest for the main girl. He has a name. Chakotay. And look, first of all, the big problem with this is that um, really the, the zombies aren't much of a threat. The girls spend a lot of their time going around you know, tick basically shopping and getting sports cars to burn around. And, and let's face facts, we'd probably all do something along those lines in their situation. But it, it's it's kind of cheesy in that regard and kind of hokey. And then they introduce this bit where you, you find out that these these scientists that live down in a bunker, but watching it now makes me realise that's actually incredibly cliched and has been done in plenty of other movies before this one. That's and part of its charm. Yeah. I, look, I, I, I enjoy watching it in that way that I enjoy watching something like Robot Monster. Yeah. Not at the level of Robot Monster, because <laughs> Robot Monster is the greatest bad movie ever. But but let's face facts, this movie's not great. And as a kid, I thought it was awesome, and it's just not. It's it's really just sort I of... I am ashamed at you, ashamed. But I do want to thank David, because he actually gave me a copy <laughs> of it on DVD, and I do watch it still. It's, so, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome in um, rubbish. Now, uh, Just I kind of, kind of film. <laughs> yeah. Now, my number one, and I must admit, I did kind of cheat here. I, I've doubled up. I've got a joint number one, but there's actually a reason for that. Yeah. My joint number one is the original Battlestar Galactica and the 80s Buck Rogers show. Now, the reason I put them together is because they're both kind of, um, you know, the post-Star Wars yeah. craze, you know, and, and as, a, as a Star Wars generation kid. And they're both Glenn Larson. They are both Glenn Larson, and I was actually getting to, I was going to actually say, um, just in general, Glenn Larson shows are actually pretty terrible. That was, that was going to be my final point, but I'll bring it up here because you've mentioned Glenn Larson here, but at the end of the day, his shows are pretty bad. Um, all respect to the man, but yeah. But being, being the post- Star, yeah, you know, being a Star Wars generation kid, I would just I hooked onto any you know space opera science fiction thing that was thrown at me, whether it was movies and TV shows and and Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers. God, as a kid, they were so so cool, and as an adult, they are terrible. They're bland. The acting is shocking. Just there's just nothing really I've got interesting. I've a couple of Buck Rogers episodes on video. Oh. Mm-hmm. I loved Black Rod- Buck Rogers. Yes, I did. I, that, that's the point. I <laughs> loved Buck Rogers in a 24th and a half century. <laughs> Two words for you. Casino Planet. There's nothing wrong with Casino Planet. And here's the thing. I had, I had Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers, like the action figures and the ships. I mean, I, we had all that sort of stuff to go with, you know, the massive Star Wars collection I had as a kid. Were you guys well. rich? 
Um, you build up your richness every episode. No, we weren't rich. My parents were yeah, just gloating. My parents were for us just poor very, kids. My parents, I ate gravel for lunch, and I was grateful. A cardboard <laughs> box. We would have dreamed of having a cardboard box when I was a kid. Um, no. Luxury. <laughs> Look, Luxury. Um, it was just my parents were very generous in buying us this kind of stuff, and um, my yeah. parents were focused more on food. Yes, your parents. Oh, we had food. Fe- fe- feeding us. We had food. That's Thank right. They brought my love with luxury. My parents would have absolutely loved to dream of giving us food. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers are the, the, both the, just the, terrible. And like I said, I've lumped them together because they are they are that reaction to Star Wars. Yeah. And Glenn Larson did both of them, and has tried to do two different takes. And look, at, at least to give Battlestar Galactica credit. The the actual idea behind it is quite a good one, and you see how that then gets picked up uh, later on for the more recent TV show, yeah. which is substantially better. Where they made Starbuck a woman. Oh no! my god! <laughs> but I actually, yeah, actually the best think character in the show. So. The remake yeah. is better than the original Absolutely. last version. No, I prefer well, the last version. No, no, no. To each their own, but basically those two shows, because I just because I loved them so much as a kid, they have to go at number one. You're wrong. <laughs> so do you count the the, uh, the series where they like they went to Earth? Well, oh, that's even worse. It's like you took the one act, you took the one bit you took the one bit that was actually interesting about the show, which was the fact they were trying to find Earth. You took that away, and therefore it was spoilers. It was great. The two main people weren't even in it. No, terrible. Just an awful show. So there you go. That's my top five. You, yeah, Luke. Again, like like the last top five. I don't really have a top five list. Good on. For the most part, you gotta okay, you gotta understand that um, whilst I'm a child of the '80s, it would have been you know cartoons like Transformers. We watched Knight Rider and things like that, but I don't have such strong memories of them. And I think I was a Knight Rider fan as a kid, but not such strong memories of them that watching it these days, I go, oh my god, this is. I just go, no, nah, this is actually pretty terrible. Not, but it doesn't play on childhood nostalgia for me. It'll ruin your childhood. Mm. And so you gotta remember that growing up in the '90s, we had things like The Simpsons and we had things like um, The X Files. Um, okay. So cool. a lot of a lot of the stuff, a lot of that stuff was you know fairly you know it, it stuck around. You know, the Simpsons is still going on. <laughs> to my horror. Um, <laughs> and so all the stuff that you'd have been talking about would have been things like you know uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which I was never a fan of. Couldn't Good. stand the show. And Biker Mice from Mars, which I didn't mind, but I didn't watch it week in week out. Um, so the things that really I've been talking about are things I've actually mentioned on the show before. One being Turtles, the cartoon, which I loved as a kid. But watching it these, watching it recently, went yeah. I can see why some adults would actually pick on this. You know, the the strength of the show are the four the turtles themselves and the attitude. But the stories are pretty stupid, mm. and the movies themselves, again the same the same thing. The turtles are awesome. There's no denying that, but it's ludicrous. <laughs> the joke is actually lost. On, the the joke in the comics is actually a bit lost on the cartoon, mm. but also in the film as well, which is meant to be for an older audience. Um, uh, and so it does actually suffer quite a bit. And the Turtles 2 and 3 are just terrible. Yeah. There's no denying it. They are <laughs> terrible. Um, and the other one, of course, um, I'm going to have to mention, I think, because if I don't on this, it, people are going to go, what the hell? Masters of the Universe. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've, I've um, already talked about the film uh, at great length, yeah. many, many episodes back. And yeah, it's a love. It's it is a short one that I loved as a kid, but as an adult, whilst I, I enjoy it in a cheesy sensibility, um, yes, it is just awful. 
Um, but the, and to be fair, the cartoon doesn't hold up as what well, it doesn't hold up that well no. either. The animation, no. the, the cheapness of the animation, does really sing out. Um, the blandness of, of the characters also um, is actually quite striking in an age that gave us transform the, the Transformers cartoon, yeah. where the characters are actually even today watching it is still um, quite raw in the characters, and that are still interesting. The plot lines are still interesting. Both are selling toys. We know that full well, but. You know, there's a reason why I probably bought more Transformers than He-Man toys. It would yeah. be interesting to see if kids today loved it as much as we did when we were kids, because that's what it's aimed at. Maybe it's. I can actually uh, attest to this because um, friends of mine have a, uh, a young son. He's five, six, six now, and um, he loves like his dad, who grew up on the the original cartoon, has shown his son. The cartoon and his son loves it, absolutely well, loves it. So, yeah. so it still works, it still works of, for kids today. Of any generation. All right, uh, and uh, let's finish up with Crystal. This is another top five that I found a little bit difficult, and then there's a lot of stuff I watched when I was young that would probably look crappy to me now. But I, for the life, of, I I know it's happened to me. I know I've sat there and going, oh, this is just. But I just, and I know I'm going to get after this episode. I'm going, oh, why didn't I say that? <laughs> I had that reaction. Why didn't I say that? But I can't think of anything that I've seen recently that I really loved and, and now think, oh, that's terrible. But So my list is sort of based on stuff that I did watch and love as a, a child or early teen and know that if I had seen it today, it would probably be awful. So with that in mind, um, sliders. I'd like to think <laughs> that at least maybe the first two seasons would still hold up, but I'm, I'm fairly... Sure that maybe they wouldn't. They didn't hold up at no. the time. No. <laughs> I, I, I can back you up on this one. I did see an episode uh, on some late night TV not too long ago. Yeah, but what season was it from though? Because season one's actually okay. The rest yeah. of it just it, it does have that horribly stereotypical black character though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but once true. I think once um, Charlie O'Connell joined the cast, and it's not his fault. That's I it is that, his fault. Sure, that's, that's when he the, the series jumped the shark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. The Six Million Dollar Man, which I loved as a child, and I love Lee Majors. We even watched The Fall Guy after that, which is probably, um, I'd probably combine them as ones that if I watch now, they're probably terrible. But mm. I think I might have a nostalgic love of them because I would just love watching the old fashions and the old cars yeah, and the old, the old props, that, yeah, the velour tracksuits. Nice. Um, chips. <laughs> oh, we, all, we all know it's short for the California Highway Patrol. I don't know where the S comes from, but uh, Chips. Uh, I, I think I did hear rumblings of a, a remake when they were trying to convince Eric Estrada to do a cameo. Yeah, they've, yeah. Been, they've been trying to get a remake yeah. of Chips done. Yeah, for, yeah. The, same people that, the same people that did 21 Jump yeah. Street. Uh, and and I really don't remember much of that at all because I was very young when I watched that, but I'm I'm fairly confident that yeah. that's awesome. Not um, Short Circuit, which oh. is a film I loved when it came out, but I'm, I'm finding that... That suffers from Steve Gutenberg syndrome. Anything Steve Gutenberg in <laughs> has turned out to be crap on later viewing. We actually we watched Short Circuit fairly recently. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. we watched about five minutes of it. Five and minutes. I was just, I was like, Davis I'm like, like, oh, actually, I was kind of, was kind of enjoying it from a nostalgic point of view, but I think if I'd watched the whole thing, it was okay until the white guy dressed as an Indian guy showed up, yes. and I was like, Fisher Stevens. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, no. Nah. 
He was in. <laughs> I can't he, watch he's these. later on appears in that TV show Early Edition. Yeah, he shows up in Friends yeah. as well. Yeah. And Hackers. Mm-hmm. Hack- yeah, the Hackers. But I have to say, I've never played. Just play it again. Johnny Five is a lot. Oh no! And <laughs> <laughs> not Fisher Stevens is actually the best thing. One of the best things about Short Circuit. I love, I love Fisher Stevens. But that incredibly racist portrayal is just not on, and the yeah. film is terrible. Mind you, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. So. Yeah, but we watched it like a month ago, and I'm telling you, it's, um, it doesn't hold up. No, five minutes we watched it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> five minutes of it, yeah. Um, I didn't like it at the time, to be honest with you. We forgot to put our nostalgia goggles on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my other, my other one, I, these were in no particular order. Um, the other one is CSI, the original series. So... CSI Las Vegas was what probably would have, would have been called if it had been a spin-off. Um, <laughs> I remember when it first came out, and this was probably it was a new sort of format for me. Uh, I really enjoyed the forensic aspect of it, and and you know they sort of delved into the clues, and you got those like magnifications of things, and the storylines I quite liked. But then as the series went on, it got quite formulaic. And then you got your spin-offs, which were pretty much the same shows, just set in different cities. And I really lost all interest. And I'm wondering now, if I went back and looked at those first early episodes, whether they would seem just as bad, because the formula had to start somewhere, I guess. So they'd probably seem just as formulaic. But when it started, the formula was kind of fresh. Gotcha. Quite enjoyed it. I can't believe it's still running. I can believe it. In about um, 400 different formats. <laughs> it's, it's probably probably going to rival Law and Order for how long it actually runs for, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Ted Danson is in it now. It's just, yeah. I just, is it Ted Danson? Yeah. yeah. I, I can't, was... get back, can't get past that shock of white hair on Ted Danson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I, th- I, I do think if I had watched an early episode, I'll think, yeah, I'm just... <laughs> I find it interesting that you were saying earlier how how difficult it was to come up with this list. Whereas mm. for me, I could have had about twenty or thirty honourable mentions. I think like, I think for me, um, when I do go back and watch a show from my childhood, like um, Happy Days or Mork and Mindy, mm. even though they probably my Mork and Mindy kind of does hold up. It does, Happy yeah, Days. Very well. Happy Days is quite cheesy. I mean. This is thirty-year-old man taking kids into his office, which is the toilet's all about. That's a bit weird. <laughs> um, but I, I, I look at these things through my nostalgia goggles, and I enjoy yeah. them because I remember enjoying them as a kid. So yeah. I, I think it's kind of hard for me yeah. to sit back and go, "This is really terrible," and I'm not watching it yeah. ever again. See, I, I had a lot of stuff list, listed originally. Um, including yeah. some of the stuff that you mentioned, like the six yeah. million dollar man, but I just I, I narrowed it down yeah. based on just how much yeah. I loved the stuff. Well, as a there's kid. probably a heap more, so. but I remember also at the time watching this stuff and kind of being entertained by it, but knowing yeah. it wasn't that great at the time. Like yeah. I Dream of Jeannie, the Brady Bunch. I mean, I watched it and I knew it was a bad show, but I watched yeah. it anyway. Cool, awesome. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, let's let's finish up with coming soon. Uh, so in Australian cinemas, December 26th, uh, because we don't have um, movies on Christmas Day, just December 25th, uh, we get Night at the Museum 3, which mm. I believe is subtitled The Secret of the Tomb or something. We've been to that museum. It's called Rest in Peace, Robin Williams, but that's just me. Yeah. I haven't even seen one and two, so We've been there. We have been there, that's true. <laughs> uh, I'll stop it. St. Vincent. This is uh, Bill Murray. Uh, it was, looks pretty cool. It's been yep. out in America for bloody ages. Yep. Uh, and uh, Russell Crowe's uh, directorial debut, The Water Diviner, which is getting some good reviews. So I might check that out. I'm in two minds of that film. 
there's a part of me that goes, no, it looks awful, I should avoid it, but there's a part of me that goes, I actually kind of hope it's successful, it because looks well that, shot. that would mean that if it's successful, people might actually put more money into Australian, Australian films. Australian films, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, what absolutely. Last but definitely not least, especially for Young Crystal, uh, The Hobbit, The Battle oh, of, the, of the Five Armies. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm hanging out for this one. Oh, God. More yeah. songs. <laughs> they got a problem with the songs, I just didn't like the Dwarf song in the first mm. one. Yeah. Anyway, cool. So that's, uh, that's it for our Christmas episode. And, uh, which had no Christmas-related stuff in it at all, but uh, it's you know it, it's Merry Christmas from us, from the crew, and uh, hope you have a safe and happy holidays. So that's it for me and the crew, Richard. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. You'll never listen to that song again now that I've sung it in my voice. Look, yo ho ho, sacrifice is terrible. No story. Oh hush, Crystal. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Christmas. Bye. You've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. You can write on our wall if you go to the Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Tweet us at nerdculturecast. Skype us on Nerd Culture Podcast. If we don't answer, leave a message. We might even play it on the show. You can comment on any post on our website www.nerdculturepodcast.com If you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net or search for NCPTV on YouTube because we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wondering where you can hear more of Bo? Go to ecnradio.com. Bo and David also have another podcast called Film Flames. More info at www.filmflames.com. You can find all of our podcasts and more at undercastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.